This is the Comstock Report podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the weekly recap podcast with Comstock Investments. I'm Eric Relf. It's Friday, June 16th. Joined by founder of Comstock and major contributor to the Comstock Report, David Cruz. David, how you doing this afternoon? Well, I'm doing just fine, Eric. What are we thinking uh, today as we've looked at the last two days market action? A little shift in the mentality here. Yeah, it's a historical week. I haven't seen too many of these in, in our experience of uh, where soybeans go up a dollar in two days. But anyway, it was a, it was a, it started with a bang and it, it kind of ended with a bang. I went back and I looked at December corn Monday, the 12th, and I noted that it gapped higher on the opening to start the week. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, sharply higher, uh, from that point to were extremely strong gains and, and end of the week basically at the highs. And, uh, I think that has all of the characteristics right now, a market that decided that, uh, the weather issues that we have are no longer a weather scare, but that they're a weather event. And that, uh, at least if the forecasts, uh, follow through, that there's going to be, uh, you know, significant yield damage. Um, this was kind of, whole year was set up, uh, under the narrative that we were going to transition from this period of, uh, historically high prices that we've seen to something more normal, I guess, historical or lower prices, lower price levels. Uh, I think that producers had angst and, and were nervous about, you know, how far prices would decline. There was a lot of discussion about 450 corn and cash corn this fall and such. And, and on the other side of the coin, the, the end users were, uh, looking forward to this. Uh, uh, actually our, you know, the livestock industries are, are not rolling in dough right now, at least not the feedlot side. Sure. Hog industry is, uh, you know, sustaining some continued losses. You know, even the rally in the pork market here hasn't brought them back into the black. Uh, then also, and even on the, on the, on the chicken side, uh, seen wholesale chicken prices, uh, come down, but the retail prices haven't. And so, uh, the, the, they aren't making a lot of money either at this point in time. And so uh, they were looking forward to, you know, having some more, uh, favorable feed costs this fall. If this, so weather event follows through, that's not going to happen. Right. Well, and throughout all this, you know, we've had discussions about what year is this. And in, in fact, I think you've titled a couple of reports, something to that effect. And, and we've talked about short crop, long tail, and, and we did have short crop and a long tail. It just maybe wasn't, wasn't as long as many thought it was going to be. At, at least that's what it appears at this point. And, and if we're going to decidedly say that we've seen a meaningful low already in that first week of May, when we saw December corn at 490 and three quarter, Okay, if that's going to be the notch in the belt, so to speak, then that would have been the end of the long tail. Now, what are we, what are we feeling as far as analog or comparative year? What, what's your gut feel? Well, let's go back, you know, and essentially we had a, a secular bull market that ended there in, what was it, about April of 2022. And we had an initial correction to uh, uh, August. Elioticians uh, looking for three-wave corrections uh, to against uh, secular bull moves, and that would have been the first wave down. Uh, then we had a, a rebound uh Took a, a number of weeks, kind of lethargic climb back, got to what, 705 in, in December corn. Right. That would have been your B wave high. Uh, and then it rolled over progressively at that point until you got a pretty substantial five wave plunge. 
you know, into the, the the low at the end of last month. That was wave C. And what it appears to be is that we have corrected that previous secular bull market. And so now basically the bull cycle can start over. The, this week's action, I mean, certainly looked uh, what the Elliott wave technicians call impulsive, the sharply higher. We could get into a discussion of the weather outlook here too, but, but which is actually what it's driven, but sure. uh, there was this, um, you know, we, we've seen the USDA you know, set up on the side of, uh, you know, essentially predicting the, the high yields, 181 and a half corn, 52 soybeans, you know, projecting, uh, you know, significantly higher carryovers, uh, you know, as a result of that. And that fed the various expectations and such. Well, it would appear to me that, first of all, we probably lost some acres in North Dakota on the planning side. And if we get into a real drought, which it looks like we do, we're going to lose some harvested acres on the backside. Yeah. And nobody's even hardly begin to think about that. Right. And so right. the acre side is going to come down likely in, in whether that'll all show up in the June report or next October. Uh, oftentimes it takes USDA till October to, to fess up on acres. Plus, uh, they started at top with these yields. Um, and we'll have the July report is usually when they make their first adjustment. And I think at this point in time, the market's saying that there's going to be a downward adjustment. Right. And you add those things all together between yield and acres, and it, the revised carryout may not look anything like the one that the USDA has been, you know, fronting up to this point. Yeah, these balance sheets could have a lot of eraser mark by the time this is over with. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about was with regards to USDA's numbers and particularly sticking to the yield, you can go to the May report and and at that time we're talking about uh, planting troubles, particularly the Dakotas and and so, okay, with the with the troubles we've already seen and some of the situations we're hearing about around the country, basically at that point, the USDA, by calling that yield, was saying we're going to have a perfect growing season. And now here we are a month and a half later, and it's been anything but perfect for a lot of people, especially in the heart of the belt where they're, they're suffering in eastern Iowa and Illinois and Indiana and then north into Wisconsin. You know, there's some big production areas that are hurting. So, yeah, I think. I think at this point you've got to expect that, of course, 181 and a half is off the table, but can we even match last year at this point? I think that's going to be more the discussion moving forward if this holds out for much longer at all. Yeah, if this carries over into July and there's a sustain to it, you know, it could be historic. You know, you mentioned when we started out, 88 and, and 2012, and, you know, it's been pointed out to me by climatologists at least that uh, that the setup of things is not the same as those years. But at the same time, this drought has its own kind of setup. And one of them is, maybe the primary one at this time, well, there's two things, in fact. One of them is that normally when you get in an El Nino, uh, the water warms along the, uh, the California coast. And that warm water there, the PDO, they call that, uh, that helps uh, push moisture and fronts in, into the Corn Belt. Well, the water up in the Gulf of Alaska has gotten warmer, but not off the coast yet. And that transition is probably happening, but it's taken longer than what they thought. Right. The other aspect is the Bermuda High. And, you know, by obviously they call it Bermuda High because it tends to set up over Bermuda. And what that has been doing in other years when it's there is it, it basically pushes moisture from the Gulf up into the Corn Belt. Well, it was pointed out here a week or two ago that uh, that Bermuda High was closer to England than it was to us. And it was given some extreme heat temperatures in, in over there in, in Great Britain. And it's now gravitating back in our direction, but it's not in position yet. And so that has created this donut hole over this area, you know, from uh, northern you know, Illinois, northern Indiana, 
Michigan, Wisconsin, Eastern Iowa, Eastern Minnesota. I hate to use that word dome, I guess, but that's, that's it's a small dome, but that's <laughs> essentially what it is. Our systems have been coming from the West. Our moisture has been coming from the West, and it just has not had the power uh, to push into that area yet. In other words, this transition that everybody's been predicting from El Nino to, or from La Nina, excuse me, to El Nino, is just taking a little longer. You know, it'll, it'll eventually happen. You know, maybe by August, or, or I don't. You know, I hate to put a time frame on that. It's going to happen as as it as it transitions, but it's not there yet. You know, to break down you right. know, this situation that we've got. That's uh, more so in the Eastern Corn Belt. Yeah, and and without the Bermuda High pushing that moisture up, then you don't have that battling system uh, between the Bermuda High and the Western Push, and so you're seeing a lot of good rainfall in the Southern Plains in areas that dramatically needed it, but haven't been getting it for years now. And so you're seeing places like Western Kansas and the Oklahoma and Texas panhandles get rainfall totals like they don't remember. Uh, just historic events there because it is making it that far as it pushes from the west to the east, but then dissipating by the time it gets to the heart of the belt. Um, want to shift a little bit. It's something that I've noticed obviously this week in particular, but I, I started to notice it about two weeks ago and, and then we've seen a lot of follow through there is in some of these outside macro markets, excluding maybe the energies. But when you look at a softening dollar, a sharply strengthening stock market. feel like the undertone is good. I think it's a little bit relative to the Fed not raising interest rates and just a, a better overall economic feel, and maybe we're not getting harped on quite so hard about how poor our economy is. you feel like some of that's weighing in from your point of view? Yeah, I think they're taking a time out on that. I mean, essentially, while the Fed was hammering down, you know, interest rate hike after interest rate hike, they were basically loudly proclaiming that they were going to have deflation or disinflation. Well, that scared traders away from commodities. There was just, they just backed away. Uh, well, and, and now we've gotten to a situation where, you know, hey, uh, the, the, the Fed action so far, we've seen inflation come down, numbers come down significantly, but without a recession. And so uh, I think that the, the feeling is already starting to get a little better, like, that maybe these traders can tiptoe back into commodities again, because uh, uh, we've probably seen the worst of that pressure uh, from the from the Fed, and so um, I think that that's helping us a little bit too. I don't think this week anybody said, "Oh, I'm not going to buy corn because of uh, of Fed interest rate hikes." <laughs> right. Let's go that way, you know. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like some of this sideline cash is re-entering the markets in in, in many avenues, and I think we're just seeing some of the benefit in the ag yeah. sector as well. With that, the overall ag sector in mind, I mean, we we kind of feels like, looks like we may have seen a, a bit of a short-term top in the cattle market. We have traded trending and trading lower uh, since a couple of weeks ago. Cash market seems to be following suit a little bit after we got past last, last week's move higher. think maybe the high was high enough and we've seen a high there for a little while. Well, I guess there's an old adage that says that cattle make tops, they don't make bottoms. And this is a major, major bull market in the cattle. And there'll be some seasonal setbacks and such along the way. And there could be a little more downside risk in here. I expect at some point in time, you'll be back right up to those highs and even higher uh, as it go, as it goes on. Yeah. And I, it, it's one, one of the things that, that, that has changed and is changing on the cattle side is that 
for the last three years with all the drought in the Plains states and, and in this cattle country, there was no grass, there was no stocking, there was, and so everything had to go to the feedlot. Right. And, uh, and things went to the feedlot early. And there wasn't any other choice. And so we had what larger numbers on feet all all for that period in there. And so, but then now with the, as you mentioned, if they're they're that whole region, the Plain states. I mean, they've got they're wet in Montana all the way to Texas now. Yeah. At four thousand feeder cattle drowned, I guess this last week in Texas, and that was after they survived the drought. You know. So now all these these areas they'll start to see grass come back. They will have options now rather than to put cattle on feed. And uh and so I think that will have a tendency to sustain the feeder cattle market as we go forward. And it will also, I think, make it harder to keep numbers on feed because uh, there's just going to be a lot of uh, cattlemen who, who uh, put, them on, put them on grass. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you can stock them and background them on grass, that's a, that's a heck yeah. of a cheaper deal. That's right. That's the way it is there. They're going to keep them longer outside of the feedlot, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and kind of in contrast, I guess, in my opinion, is the hogs touched on it a little bit. You know, this, this rally, all it's done is, is, uh, turned the Packers from $40 losses to $20 losses. And I, I just don't know if this rally is a, a brief stall or if it's already running out of gas and we're going to have to look to next year on a regroup. Um, any, any feel there? I guess my feeling is is that there, it is limited upside potential in the, in the hogs still from here. Uh, I don't know if we can get up toward you know somewhere between 95 and 99. I think in July contract something like that maybe it, it can have one more shot up in there. Sure. But there's a real demand problem that hasn't been solved yet, and there's some real issues relative to this uh, Proposition 12 in California and Question 3 in in Massachusetts. You know, right now those two states represent dollar-wise about 17% of our U.S. pork demand, about five to eight percent of our U.S. production that qualifies for for it to be sold in those markets. And so that's something that's going to get sorted out over the next six months. How do they put in a compliance program uh, to meeting their their humane standards and such? And and yeah. um, so there, there's a huge thing to play out there too. But uh, but basically, these sustained losses have been sparking, you know, liquidation. Sure. And one of the things that these hog producers were counting on is that they'd have, what, five-buck corn in the fall. Four right. and a half, five-buck corn. Right. And what if all of a sudden that's six, six and a half again? You know, uh, or it, or uh, worse, who knows? The, the, you're going to see more liquidation is what you'll see. You know, I mean, that's going to be the last straw for, for, for some people if they don't get the cheaper feed costs that they were counting on. And so I still see pressure on that side of it yet from that. Yeah, that's, that's a overall, the, the industry has just been in such a struggle and it seems they can't catch a break. And when they think they might have one on the horizon, here comes the corn market ripping higher again. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, even on the short term, we had $7 corn today in Hartley, Iowa. Again, cash corn. That's what they posted here this afternoon. And that was even after they've taken the basis down 25 cents in the last month. Right. You know, you know well, because uh, the July futures have come back that strong. And there's no indication that that's probably done yet. It's holding up pretty well. Yeah. Well, and I'm even hearing some pretty interesting numbers on new crop. I had clients today that sold 580 cash new crop. Given the basis levels that we're seeing posted around the country, I thought that was a pretty, 
pretty good sale. You know, a little negotiating, posted at 18 under and uh, talked him out of a few cents and got some sales done. And I, I think that's okay, especially leading into the long weekend. And we don't know how much the weather's going to impact us going into next week because there's nothing we can do about it till Monday night anyway. Well, there are people that are in pretty good agronomic condition right now. I mean, we in our farms, we happen to be one of the fortunate ones that caught these, that rain that came through about 10 counties of Iowa. And, and uh, we have subsoil moisture, and, and we're, we're not been stressed yet. Right. You know, I don't know how long that'll last as temperatures start to increase. That's been one of the factors of this drought. It isn't a drought isn't just how much rain you get. It's it's also what the temperatures are. And actually, if you look back the last month or two, there's been just very brief warm ups where on you know, a couple of days maybe you got to ninety degrees in the eastern corn belt. Uh most of there've been a lot of times in the seventies over there. Well yeah. that that helped the crop get through that. Yeah, that's been Uh, a saving grace. These these new forecasts, they now have warming temps coming into them again. And so if you don't have have soil moisture and you start to get the warming temps, all of a sudden it hits the fan pretty fast. Yeah, it's just, yeah, what little is there is sucked out on a daily basis. Well, David, anything else that you feel like we need to touch on this week? Well, maybe we could talk just about the rest of the world just a little bit here. You know, we got to remember Argentina basically had a horrible corn crop as well as a horrible soybean crop. USDA is still overstating both of those. But then you go over to Europe. Uh, You know, our other primary competitor has been Ukraine. And there was, what, five Eastern European nations, Poland included, that now is banning the import of, uh, of Polish grain. Uh, it's been harming their farmers. And then you've also got drought in Eastern Europe. Those countries, Poland, Ukraine, and stuff, now have a very ser- have a serious situation of, of their own drought threat over there. Exceeding ours, yeah. Yeah. And so what the, what the market was looking for from our crop was that it was going to band-aid over these other problems from Argentina and from Ukraine and everything and, and keep the market supplied. Well, all of a sudden, here we get the prospect that that won't be the case. And, and so, I mean, it's really interesting how this thing has, has come together. And it'll be very, you know, Sunday, or excuse me, I guess it's Monday night because of the Juneteenth holiday. Um, it will be interesting to see how the markets start out next week. I pointed out that, uh, well, I think that the gap higher to start this week potentially was a, was a, was a breakaway gap. Breakaway, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, the next gap that we see in the chart would probably be a measuring gap which means it would measure about we're only halfway there to where yeah. we're going yeah. after this, if that's the way that works out. Depending on when it hits, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, again or again, Monday night we could call, come in, and it's raining, and they've drenched Illinois and one thing or another, and, and it'll have changed. But anyway, it will be an interesting start to Monday night. So. Yeah. Well, and I think one more thing I kind of forgot to mention and I think needs to be added is yesterday we did see the most bullish May NOPA crush report regarding soybeans that we've ever seen, and by a long shot. seven Record by 7 million bushel and exceeded trade expectation by 2 million bushel. And even in the midst of all that, we still saw a decline in soybean oil stocks, meaning that the demand for soybean oil is just astronomically higher than what the trade had anticipated. You know, that's something we've talked about a lot about six months ago and maybe even maybe even further than that as we were going into last fall. And the soybean was up $22 today. Yeah, just flying. Yeah. And this are making more soy meal and soy oil than ever, yet the market is saying it's not enough. We need more, right. 
Yeah, and this domestic crush situation is going to exceed expectations by so far people can't realize it. And there's some plants still coming online that haven't yet. So it, it's going to get quite interesting, I think. And we've, we've talked numerous times. All it takes is a one to two bushel yield reduction on this crop and, and you're, you're undersupplied completely. We'll see how it plays out next week, but uh, there's definitely some storylines here that explain the moves that we've seen. Well, I guess if that's all you've got, we'll call our quits and go into this long weekend. Everybody have a great three-day weekend, and we'll see you back here next week. For a more complete version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations, subscribe on our website at Comstock.com or reach out to one of our risk management specialists about how we can help you protect your profits. Futures trading involves risk. The risk of loss in trading futures and or options is substantial, and each investor and or trader must consider whether this is a suitable investment. Past performance is not indicative of future results.